Good morning, everyone. We have a couple verses from the book of Proverbs. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Mele. I heard some chuckles during the scripture reading. We'll see who's laughing here. No. Um, this is, though, going to be a good time together in, in Proverbs. Um, uh, by way of introduction, um, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at uh, Redemption Tucson. And if you've never heard me preach before or, um, you know, anything like that, I have a speech impediment, so it'll kind of come in and out as we go. And I just want to give you all a, a heads up on that so you know um, what that is. And I'll have us go ahead and turn to our Bibles in Proverbs, again, chapter 26, also um, chapter 21. And we're also going to launch out, if you want to kind of look ahead or even um, some uh, I don't know, kind of put, you know, a bookmark in there. Um, we'll also be in the book of James chapter 4 and also 1 John chapter 4. So we're going to launch out because this idea of quarreling is such a dominant theme. Um, we're going to kind of launch out uh, in a couple different places together. Okay, so if you have a Bible, turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will um, get you one, okay? And he... En español, si quieres la Biblia y no tienes, um, por favor, levanta su mano y diga uh, español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo um, a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Proverbios um, 26 y 21. Okay, so again, we're in Proverbs uh, 26 and, and 21. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep this one, okay? We want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can read and understand and make their own and learn and be shaped uh, by God's Word. And um, before we get into it there too much, um, I want to just give you all a heads up on something coming up. I think we'll have it up here. But we have a, a class starting next week called R Roots. And the idea of this class is to help um, us be rooted in our faith. And uh, the, the, it, it's a three-week class that a number of different people here at Redemption have really helped to invest in and shape and will kind of walk through different aspects of it. And I um, want to encourage, again, anyone, um, this is an opportunity to help kind of connect some dots and understand what, um, what, again, we use the phrase here a lot of like the historic faith or the historic church has walked through this. And so this will really help ground or, again, root um, biblical Christianity and theology and help maybe connect some dots where there might be some holes or some kind of question marks. So again, everyone here is encouraged to, uh, if that sounds like something that you would really grow from and learn from, really want to encourage you to be a part of that. And um, I'll also just say, I don't know, I didn't really know even where to um, fit this in, but before we, we pray and we transition, I just want to um, thank Tina, I don't even know where she is, but great job uh, doing that. Um, even I'll just give some props to like navigating an unruly microphone is really, really difficult. And like she said, like, you know, this might be hazing. So again, wherever you are, great job doing that. Um, some of you have seen me, I basically come just short of throwing a 
temper tantrum when my microphone doesn't work. Um, but anyway, that was great. And also, um, Carly uh, does my wife's hair, and so I was a little worried there when she started listening what some customers talk about. <laughs> but uh, I don't think I fit any of those categories. So thanks for for that. But um, let's let's get into our time in Proverbs. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. Um, we have a short season here in the book of Proverbs, I think so far, and uh, I, I trust will continue that God um, shapes us through this kind of unique um, series that we're in. So let's, let's pray and uh, humble ourselves before God and ask Him to speak uh, this morning. Lord, we, we do come before you humbly. Um, I don't know that everyone here individually would even say that, or, um, but Lord, we as a community corporately do submit ourselves to your word, and uh, we expect that you will teach us. We trust that, that as your word says that, Lord, it is profitable uh, for rebuke and for teaching and for correction. Um, Lord, we also trust that though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. And so, Lord, we pray that you would inform and transform us through your, your word this morning. Uh, again, individually for sure and also communally and corporately as a people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the kind of overarching title that we've been walking through here in Proverbs, um, kind of the working title across redemption. Some of you might not know what we do in Redemption Church is each congregation um, preaches that particular text, right, like we do here. We walk through it, but we all go through the same scripture each week. So I think it's one of my favorite things about us as a church is, is we about... 10 days out before the, this, this time, um, we all come together, all the different, whoever's going to be preaching, and we kind of, we've done some work on our own, and reading commentaries, and studying, and pouring over that scripture passage, and then we all come together on Wednesday, again, 10 days before, and we, we talk, and we kind of make sure we're all on the same page, and we look for kind of the, you know, common theme, common thread, big idea, and then we go back to our own, you know, cubby holes and kind of pour over uh, it ourselves and craft the sermon and then preach that locally, because, you know, Redemption Tempe is not about to celebrate like we would here on a day after Saturday football game, um, you know, yeah, right? Um, so, uh, it's exciting times here. I will publicly confess, I was joking with some before, I talked a little trash a few weeks ago and said it's almost basketball season and, right, we can laugh at ourselves here. Like I said earlier, who's laughing now? I'll take that. I'll own that. I, I was wrong. And, um, and I'm glad to say that. Uh, if you don't even know what I'm talking about, it's okay. You know, U of A football, things are great right now. It's exciting. But um, the, the working title for this book of Proverbs that we're in is Wisdom in Dizzying Times. And uh, I think I didn't, I got vo voted because I stutter on that word. I even practiced and they're like, let's make Dave, you know, s s struggle with this word. So that's how we came up with the title. No, the, the, the reality is that we are in dizzying times. We're in, it's easy to get just disoriented in our world today. Even what we've talked about the last couple weeks about 
about our hearts and uh, last week and about guarding our hearts and how many other things are calling for our affections and our allegiance and, and all these different things. And then the first week, right, we talked about wisdom versus folly. And, and we, 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 we looked at or talked about Pinocchio, right, walking along in a v- vulnerable state, kind of sent out and getting called in different directions. And one guy actually talked about this as, as though we're hearing like many voices calling like, hey, 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 hey. And we're just like looking around, you know, where do, where do I go? And you just kind of picture this idea. And, and so one of the contributors to these disorienting or dizzying times that we're in is quarreling. Is just the reality that, that, that there are quarrels just springing up all over the place. And some would, as we read some of these things, we, we hear, you know, anger. But, but I think more nuanced than that, even maybe deeper, is this idea of quarreling. And it's everywhere, right? I, I mentioned last week, I personally listen to a lot of sports talk radio. I drive to and from Phoenix at least once a week, and that's normally what will keep me awake. I'd like to say it's sermons or things like that, but it's certainly not my own. I, I'm off. I'll drive off the road if I do that. But, um, but, but, you know, I usually listen to sports talk radio, and there's all kinds of different, like most of it is quarreling. Even people that are friends, it's just kind of to keep you engaged, to keep me listening is this kind of back and forth banter. There's even one, uh, one show called Pardon the Interruption, and it's two people just that are basically can't wait to interrupt one another and kind of disagree. Or in politics, there's, there's shows like um, Cross crossfire or things like that and it's just you just kind of we just tune in and we get entertained by just these quarrels and by people um, giving their opinion on particular quarrels again it's it's whatever you're into you could you don't have to look too far to see quarreling but why why is it why do we why are we prone to be entertained by or to dig into quarreling? Again, these two verses that we launched out from here this morning and that we'll um, read more of in um, Proverbs 26. Just I will re- re- read them again. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. It is better... Okay, Proverbs 21, 19, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. And those are just two of many verses. And the way, again, that Proverbs is laid out is it's often a series of comparisons with an invitation for reflection and consideration. And so this morning, just those two that launch out as we see men and women and women talked about as being prone to quarreling and, and the destructive nature. And so again, I, I ask, just let's be honest with ourselves. I Hopefully we can assume we do quarrel. We like quarreling. We live in a society in a world that propagates quarreling and g- g- gossip and this type of deal. But why? Why is that? I think that's a good question. When we launch out of James, the book of James chapter 4 begins with this very question. What 
causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. This is the author, James, here writing back to the church in Jerusalem, and there's quarreling, there's infighting, there's bickering, there's just nagging, there's this stuff going on that's incredibly destructive. And so he asked this important question, what causes these quarrels and what causes fights among you? And then he goes on and answers, is it not this that your passions are at war within you. Okay, you're, there's quarreling. This is assumed. There's bickering among you. You're, you're prone to, to this, this kind of um, destructive calling away from this issue to this issue, and, and, and there's infighting, and you're torn apart, and you're torn down. Why is it? And then he says, is it not that your hearts are at war within you? Okay, this is not just interpersonal warring, right? He says, your hearts are at war within you. This assumption that our very hearts, each of us, we have a war going on, a conflict, a battle in ourselves with our own priorities. Okay, this idea that comes out is this, is where there's a fire, there's smoke, all right? Where, where there's a fire, there's smoke. So kind of the other way of seeing that is when you see smoke, like you need to follow it, trace it back to find the fire, right? Like I'm no, I'm no like scientist or, you know, f- fireman, but I'm pretty sure that you can trace it back, right? That there's not like a fire over here and then the smoke is over there and it, you know, kind of tricks you and leads you somewhere else. I see a friend here who is a f- firefighter. And I'm pretty sure that's how it works, right? Like follow the smoke, trace it back, you find the fire. And I'm sure there's winds that shift and change all that. But anyway, you guys get the picture, right? So the idea is this, okay, if there's quarreling among us, if there's quarreling in society, quarreling in the world that we live in, right, that's, that's the smoke. We could focus on that. But the scriptures, like God surgically, he's one time referred to as the great cardiologist, right? The great heart doctor. He doesn't just let us dabble and get distracted with kind of the peripherals, if you will. Okay, those things matter, but he always gets straight to the heart, right? We talked about last week, guard your heart for from it uh, is the, the wellspring of life. Right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Like there's this 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 connection there. So this idea, right, where there's smoke, there's fire. So the, the idea, the bigger question is, what, what's going on in our hearts? Is there not a war going on in each of us individually, not just between us, not right, left, you know, ASU, U of A, whatever our, you know, not these kind of deals, but in our own hearts, there's a war going on. In fact, further down in, uh, in James 4, it goes on, and, and, and um, he says in, in verse 3, kind of the second part of it, he says, because you ask wrongly, you spend it on your own passions. And the idea that builds up here is saying, it's because this war in your hearts is that you have a conflict, basically a, a, a conflict of priorities, a conflict of allegiances, things that do not align with God who you say you surrender to and are shaped by and worship and give all of life to. But there are these other things that are actually functionally Practically, you're your God. Okay, simply put, this is idolatry. This is, this is orienting your life, your identity, your purpose, whatever it is, around something or someone other than God. 
Okay, that's simply put, that's idolatry, okay? In our day, in our world, we like to kind of think back to, oh, we don't have idols in our day, right? We don't have little statues and little things that we worship and have up in our houses, and right? You could joke and, you know, press into that to the, you know, whatever it is, kind of posters we have or things we have, little things that show what we truly care about and really give our lives to or our phones, right? Like little stuff. So those are objects, right? But, but, but on a deeper level, even stuff we can't necessarily look at and say, oh, those icons or those things, those are, those are idols. The idea is something or someone we orient our lives around. Whatever that is, that's our God, and it can be really, really good things, right? Family. I'll just go straight to one that we, we, hard, we even struggle to consider. Whatever, things that God gave us, things that are good that we should use to enjoy, to love God and love others and to find our joy in, really good things, our, our families, our possessions, our health, our education, our relationships, or finances, whatever it might be, right? You can think of all these things in and of themselves, really good things, but when they become, as, as some have said, when, those, when good things become ultimate things, or when we use created things to replace the creator, all right, that's when we have a problem. That's when there's idolatry, okay? A, an, another good way, just to help this sink in all the more, to, to, to consider where are the idols in my heart, right? Let's ask ourselves this right now. Where, where are the idols in my heart? Is to ask yourself this question. What or who in my life, if I were to lose it, would absolutely and utterly devastate me and wreck me? Okay, not make me sad, make me, you know, difficult, all this, like, of course, but on a, like on a foundational, life-shaping identity level, if that or, or that person or that thing was taken away, I would be over. Or on the flip side, if I had that or that person or that relationship or that thing, then I would be fully satisfied. Okay, whatever that is, that's likely your functional, practical God. And that's a good way to think about this is, you know, what, what is it, God? What, and Because, and, again, go back to, like, the smoke that shows up in our lives is the quarrels we enter into, we celebrate, we, we get excited about, we defend. But, again, according to James here and what's going on there, that, that smoke leads back to a heart condition, an idolatry, a confusion. So... Well, what do we do with that, right? Because, like, let's be honest here, okay? Can you, are you guys tracking with me? Like, we can't theorize or intellectualize ourselves out of idol worship, okay? Another, like, if this idol worship is confusing, think of what we've talked about already, folly, right? Foolishness. The same idea here of, of wandering to the left or to the right, of going in one direction or the other, of not having our identity and our purpose grounded on God and on our relationship with Him, on who He is and who we are. Okay, we don't wake up in the morning, or most of us, I expect, like journal out, um, here's how I'm going to pursue folly, or here's how I'm going to replace God, my Creator, with created things, right? Most of us don't do that, right? We don't, we don't, intellectually chart out a course 
to wander in one direction or the other. We're wooed into them, okay? Our hearts are already wanting to latch on to something or someone else. And so when there's given opportunity, we go that direction. We don't, we don't think about it. We don't plan it out. We don't chart a course. We go. We, we wander. Am I all, all alone here? Amen. Are we? So like now that we're in this place, like, wow, you know, this prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. You know, this, 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 ancient, this, this historic hymn, this reality, I am prone to wander. My heart is, is given to go to this direction or to that direction, and well, what do I do about it? And in the book of Proverbs, going back there, kind of leads us to that place often of saying, well, what can I do? What do I do with this? Okay, remember, if, if you're taking notes, or if that, hope, almost every week we'll probably come back to this. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 is like one of the foundational verses in all of Proverbs, and it's this. It's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Okay, not just like intellectual knowledge, again, not like, oh, I think this stuff, I know this stuff. Okay, so fear the Lord. I don't even fully know what that means, but that begins knowledge, and I do want to be smarter. I want to know more stuff, so okay, I'll read Proverbs. No, what this is talking about is like a relational knowledge, not just up here, but a life-forming, life-shaping, informed understanding of who God is. Okay, that, that idea of the fear of the Lord is not in a corner trembling and quivering. Okay, though outside of God's intervention, outside of Him revealing Himself to us, that is that would be our re- response. But this idea, this 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 idea of fear of the Lord is an informed un- relational understanding. Okay, again, an informed relational understanding of knowing who God is. That is the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of, of a heart that is shaped by who God is. That, and, and hear me, an identity and a purpose that is so foundational that the rest of life flows out of that. Okay, this picture, this metaphor, not not a heart that's on fire and inflamed and smoke is going all over the place and we're chasing the smoke, we're chasing all this stuff, but no, coming back to this place of knowing God more rightly and in turn knowing ourselves and our relationship to Him in such a way that then informs every other part of our lives. So who is God? What does it look like to fear the Lord and to have knowledge, life, wisdom flow out of that. What does that look like? The, the, the first place that I turned and was kind of led to in this is 1 John chapter 4, because I think it, it, we can ask again, um, who is God? God, who are you? God, I, okay, if my life is supposed to flow out of who you are, I want to know you. Who are you? Where do I even begin? Well, verse 7, who is God? God is love. God is love. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Again, 
The beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, is the right understanding of God. So how do we begin? Where do we begin with knowing God? It's knowing first and foremost that God is love. Not God is loving, not God likes to love, God's a lovable, all these different things. No, but God is, His very nature, God is love. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. Okay, was made shown, was made known, was made, was made real. Okay, came to dwell, to, 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 to be present among us. Okay, where am I? Right there. God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Okay, verse 10. Underline this, circle it. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, that word, beloved. If God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So I recognize some of us could get lost in this whole kind of philosophical kind of chain here Premises, premises, conclusions, this whole deal. It starts with this, okay? God is love. Well, how do we know? By looking to Jesus. God personified. God present. God manifested among us. Well, how do we know that? Because Jesus came and is the propitiation for our sins. That Jesus came and his, his who he is and what he did is he came to lay himself down, to pay the penalty for what you and I deserve. Again, we're celebrating the Reformation. Okay, this is the great exchange. This is Jesus taking on himself what we deserve, rejection by God, and giving to us what we do not deserve and could never earn on our own, but what he has accomplished for us. Acceptance, reconciliation, forgiveness, relationship with God our Father. The propitiation of our sins. How do we know God is love? We look to Jesus. He came, he personified, he manifested among us, he lived among us, he did what we could never do, he restored us to our relationship with God, and then from there in turn our relationship with ourselves. And then from there, in turn, our relationships with each other, with the surrounding world. Okay, so this idea that, 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 that life begins in understanding God, and that means we understand that He is love. And He died for you, and for me, and for them. And so see, when, when our hearts are shaped by knowing him, by knowing who he is, by having a relationship that starts there, by understanding, God, you and you alone are love and my hope is found in you and in you alone and my identity and my purpose and my relationship with you. Okay, sit there for a moment and then maybe move on now. My relationship with myself Okay, let that sink in. Outside of God's intervention, we don't know ourselves rightly. We need God to intervene. We need the God who is loved to break in and to reveal himself and his character through who he is and what he has done. 
dying on the cross. How do we know that God loves us? Because he sent his son Jesus to die for us. While we're enemies, not when we deserved it, not when we earned it, not when we did enough good things to make him want to do it. No, while we're yet enemies, Christ died for us. So we know that God loves us. That informs who you are, how you see yourself. And then from there, how you relate with others. Again, chase the smoke and we're just going to get more and more confused. All right, I don't know if this will perfectly make sense, but I was joking about it this morning and it kind of hit me. I was like, this is a really good illustration of life. Uh, someone here and I were shaking hands this morning. We went to shake each other's hand and we both had injuries or things that our own hands were hurting, were, were if you will, broken. All right, I have a cut on my hand. He burned his hand on some coffee. And as we shook each other's hands, we were trying not to hurt our own hands. And in so doing, we ended up hurting one another. <laughs> okay? Like, like, I hurt my hand. I'm going to try to shake your hand first so it doesn't hurt me. And he tried to do the same, and we ended up just hurting each other. And I was like, that's such a metaphor of how we relate with one another. <laughs> All right? Quarreling is born among us okay, is not just because we care so much about that issue, all right? We, we don't believe, we don't, we stop short there and we're like, oh, I care so much about this, I'm so much about this, and we can't relate rightly with one another because we don't know ourselves well enough and we're so, so desperately trying to protect ourselves that we're going to hurt others because we don't want to get hurt. Amen? Amen? And when we trace that back a little more, it's because we don't know ourselves, because we don't know God. And God doesn't say, well, intellectualize, work yourselves out of this mess you found yourselves in, right? Think yourselves away. No, he says, your heart has wandered. You have been wooed by lesser lovers. The picture is often descriptive in the Old Testament. You have been wooed away. And so what does God do? He reveals himself as the, the, the better lover, as the more perfect, the more, the more right one. He reveals himself to our hearts as the God of love who died for us to restore us, restore us to himself, to ourselves, and to each other. God is love. And so I think we're left there with this kind of obvious sense of, well, what do, what do we do with that then? What do we do? How do we engage with people? Because we still have opinions, right? We still care. In fact, I would say, like, we should have the most opinions. We should have the strongest. We use this phrase that was shared this morning, all of life is all for Jesus. It, okay, by, by being restored to God, by, 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 by loving him, by, by having the beginning of knowledge be fear of the Lord, right understanding with God, that doesn't mean now we just become robots and we tune out and we just keep it super shallow and we don't really care about anything. No. Now, yes, we have rules of engagement, right? We've been talking about we're going to engage other people with love. We're going to understand that God is love. We have a high enough view of God that that informs how we, that God's not saying it's up to you to defend my honor and all my, all my right opinions and stuff. And so he like sends us out like his little minions, you know, to do it. No, that, okay, God's sovereign. He's big enough. I can kind of non-anxiously engage other people and actually observe, you know, things like 
you know, James 1 tells us, be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness or bring about the righteousness of God. Okay, we can actually take those verses seriously because God is big, but still, what do we do, right? There, there's, I want to acknowledge very practically there's a real implication. Then, then how do we engage? One, one um, person, G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton, I don't, um, did I stutter? Um, he said, he said, you know what I don't like about quarrels? They interrupt a good fight. And I, I was really, pre- I was like, what in the world does that mean? And as I read through it, and I think it's this idea, right? Ephesians tells us, be angry and yet do not sin, right? Jesus is angry. Jesus cares about things. Jesus gets impassioned and he speaks into all kinds of important like social issues and, and interpersonal stuff. He doesn't just keep it safe and neat and tidy. Okay, so how do we engage? This whole, okay, quarrels interrupt a good fight is like, it means that like when you focus on the wrong things, when there's smoke produced from a fire, seek out the fire but that when you now, when that fire is, is, is quenched and your heart is restored and you're, you have a right view of God and in turn a right view of self and a right view of others, it doesn't mean that you're just absent now. It means that you press in rightly. Okay? So let's, this incredibly helpful quote from Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says this in something that he wrote about loving your enemies. Here's what he says. Now, there is a final reason, I think, that Jesus says, love your enemies. It is this, that love has within it a redemptive power. And there is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. Just keep being friendly to that person. Just keep loving them, and they can't stand it too long. Oh, they react in many ways in the beginning. They react with guilt feelings, and sometimes they'll hate you even a little more at that transition period. But just keep loving them. Is that not how God relates with us? Okay, uh, C.S. Lewis called God the hound of heaven. Okay, this unrelenting pursuing love that maybe gets annoying, that maybe gets frustrating, and yet he continues to pursue. Jesus, as he hung on the cross, do you not think, as Dr. King here talks about, they may even hate you a little more at the beginning, right? If you trace Jesus's life and his ministry, you see people are entertained, they're kind of intrigued, they, they have all these different takes on Jesus, but as he continues to love, not, not saying, hey, you tell me how to love you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift like the sand in the wind based on your definition of what it means to love you. I'm going to pursue you and love you even to the point where he died alone on the cross, forsaken by all people and by his Father for you and me. This, this, this relentless, constant kind of love And then he goes on, and by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. That's love. You see, it is redemptive. And this is why Jesus says love. There's something about love that builds up and is creative. There is something about hate that tears down and is destructive. So love your enemies. Okay, can we not all agree that is true? (laughs) Hate is destructive and, 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 and divides. Love brings together. 
this is absolutely biblical, foundational, okay? Just because we're here together, like, can we stop for a moment and recognize hate? I mean, I read news, a couple different news platforms this morning about all these kinds of different things going on, different quarrels that are, I don't want to, that are flippant, that are, some are very serious, where even lives are lost and incredible, tragic things are going on, and you see it's divisive. And let me just say to you that divisive hate is satanic, is demonic, Okay, it is not, well, I'm defending God and his principles and his honor, and so I'm hating my neighbor. Okay, find where Jesus says that. Okay, in the very beginning, when sin enters into the world, you know what happens? Division. Division from God, division from one another. And then what does God say? His promises from the very beginning in Genesis 3, in Genesis 12, and all throughout in 2 Samuel 7, there's this promise of unifying, of bringing together, of, of mending. And uh, we go on and on. We looked at some of these verses last week and this promise of now bringing together. But not just through, oh, kind of, I don't care. I'm going to just kind of wash my hands. Everything's all the same. All roads lead to heaven. No, by a principled, unrelenting love that cannot be separated from the person and work of Jesus. Amen? So Jesus has come to bring back together, to unify. So how do we, and how do we engage a quarreling world? With love. Now let me be absolutely clear, not a love that you and I can fabricate or conjure up on our own. Okay, the smartest among us, the kindest among us, absolutely will fall short. History has proven time and time again that, that we are not capable of, of, of bringing in the love that our desperate world needs. But how, how do we get there then? By knowing God, by being grounded in who He is, a God of love, a God who first loved us, and then in turn says, now you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, we fight, we resist, we live in a quarreling world with unrelenting love that is grounded first upon the love of God demonstrated in the person and work of Jesus. And so now, again, I recognize as we close, there's this massive question of, well, how do, what does that look like? Well, how? How do I evaluate my own heart? Okay, the kind of action step here is evaluate our hearts. As we enter into a time of response in a moment, we'll have some, some kind of quiet time to just sit individually and together and consider our hearts, to lay our hearts bare before God and say, Lord, speak to me. Reveal where there's hate. Lord, reveal where I don't know you rightly and where my life has gone askew because I've misunderstood you and in turn I've misunderstood myself. And in turn, I've mistreated and misunderstood my neighbor. Okay, so what, what does it look like? I've chosen seven Proverbs for us to walk. I'm just going to read them. I'm not even going to expound on them as much as I'm going to want to. I'm going to exercise restraint here and just read these seven Proverbs. And I cut this down. There are like hundreds, by the way, uh, all throughout and my wife, even who I mentioned often, helps me. I kind of throw out my sermons there before and say, you know, what do you think? And she's like, that list is way too long. Like, those are all great, of course. It's God's word, but, like, we need to cut that list down. And so she helped me, and we whittled it down to seven. 
Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 17, 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 26.17, whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Proverbs 29.11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit but a wise man quietly holds it back. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Okay, as we navigate a quarreling world with the love of God, let's pray and ask Him to shape us, transform us, lead us to repentance. Okay, in and through the person and work of Jesus, most clearly displayed through His Word. Let's pray together. Again, Father, thank You for um, the way You've even given Your Word. Thank You for these, these, these proverbs that really lo 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 lead us to a place of, of, of consideration, of contemplation, of almost kind of... Uh, I think, helplessness. Lord, that we, as we even just read through that list of seven, we're so aware of how we fall short, of how quickly our hearts are wooed one way or the other, and how that results in quarreling and even in hate, Lord, and, and not loving our neighbor as ourselves, and not loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we pray and we trust that you will lead us now in our time of response, Lord, to worship, to repentance, and ultimately, Lord, to love, because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.